Welcome to the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. I'm Ross. And I'm Gordon. And you, sir, seem rather irked this morning. What's raised your ire today? Display calibration. Ah, the display calibration raises its ugly head. Well, that's not completely foreign to me. I believe the display calibration involves creating a display profile. And when you say display, I'm assuming we're talking about the thing that you look at on the screen. Yes, sir. In accordance with international standards. And that allows the computer operating system to adjust the signal that it sends to the display so it accurately displays the colors it's supposed to. That's correct. It displays the colors that were actually captured, corrected for any inconsistencies in the basic display signal. If that's that simple, it still looks like something is irking and needs burying along with a bag of lime, and that sort of indicates what our age is, right? Hey, buddy, when it works. Oh, it, it works. It works. Not, not fast, but it works. So a little more detail, please. Uh, as my membership in the Psychic Friends Network has kind of elapsed. What you stated about display calibration is completely accurate. However, the marketing materials, the collection of dubious so-called experts on the internet, and many salespeople managed to screw this into the ground with all the effectiveness of the mole on the old Thunderbirds TV program. Boy, we're really dating ourselves today, aren't we? Jerry <laughs> and Sylvia Anderson, pal. There you go. You did it again. Yes, I did. <laughs> so yes, I am dating myself, but not that way. <laughs> and I should be cognizant by now that many never let facts get in the way of a belief system or a lack of knowledge. So let's start, as we often do, in the words of the inestimable <laughs> Julie Andrews. But what would we do without that show? I don't know what we would do. We'll start at the very beginning with the idea of a display profile. Have you heard the term ICC? Yes. It's one of the things I learned when I started printing my own images, and I to admit I learned that from you, was that it was critical to use the proper ICC profile for the paper I was using and the printer that I was making prints on. I had no idea that these things all interacted and influenced the way the print was going to come out. However, I am less aware of how ICC applies to the display. Well, fair enough. ICC, for those who may not know, is the acronym given in this context. We're talking about the International Color Consortium. And anyone with a browser can learn more about this organization at color.org. Now, that's color spelled in the American manner, meaning without a U, as it properly should be. <laughs> hey, I'm Canadian. What do you want? Hey. Oh, and I know Canadian to do it. 
<laughs> An ICC profile is a set of data that characterizes a color input or output device. As photographers and videographers, we deal almost exclusively with ICC profiles pertaining to an output device. So I'm, I'm, I'm then assuming you're, you're talking about a printer and paper, but also the calibration of the display, which makes a whole lot of sense, of course. To print accurate colors, one needs to line up the paper characteristics with the printer characteristics, which you can't do unless one sees an accurate representation on the display in the first place. Precisely so. Many photographers want to ensure that the display that they, are, that they use in editing represents colors accurately and within a specific color space. We deal in three color editing spaces most commonly, sRGB or small RGB, which is an 8-bit color space, Adobe RGB, which is a 16-bit color space, and most of us edit in Profoto RGB, which is up to a 32-bit color space, provided the data provided is sufficient in the file that we're using. So that means that we're working from a raw file, not from a JPEG or a 16-bit TIFF. When we seek to buy a display for our computers, sRGB is the default standard. But there are some more advanced and, yes, more expensive displays capable of Adobe RGB. While there are Profoto RGB displays in existence, their cost of acquisition and the tools required to keep them calibrated are very expensive. So most creatives put their money elsewhere. 16-bit, candidly, is usually quite sufficient as it provides a unique set of tones in each of red, green, and blue, each of them having 65,536 variations. Jesus. Do some combination math, and you get more options than you're ever going to be able to see. Okay, so what you're saying is that if you want the optimum in a display for photo and video editing, you want to get a monitor display system that has Adobe RGB abilities as its color space. Yes, that's true. Now, some video editors may choose uh, a display that supports something called DCI-P3, which is a technologically lesser color space. It's richer than sRGB, but not as rich as Adobe RGB. And it was really defined specifically for digital video rather than broadcast video. However, if you're going to do stills and some video, I'm always going to recommend a display capable of Adobe RGB because that means it's going to cover DCI-P3 for the video requirements. Okay. And I believe that the Two people that were making calibration systems were X-Rite and Datacolor, which have, you know, have display calibrators that accurately build profiles for Adobe RGB. And now I understand that such profiles are built to ICC standards, which I did not know before. You're correct. And for a lot of digital photographers, we've never considered that a display calibration actually follows a set of standards, an ICC set of standards. 
But when you use a proper display calibrator, such as one from either of the two companies you mentioned, what they actually build is an ICC file. It doesn't mean that once you've got your display calibrated correctly, that you can't change the colors in an image or a clip for creative reasons. What it means is that you are working from a color correct state as your baseline. Now, when I was doing my calibration, when I learned about it, the system that wanted to read the room brightness before it proceeded to calibrate my display. It measured the room temperature, and then in that lighting system, it calibrated the display. When I upgraded my system, I don't remember it doing an ambient. It may have done that already without actually asking me to do anything. But I, I do know that uh, they have to. you have to compare what you're seeing on the screen to the ambient light. So is, isn't this a beneficial thing that it does? Well, I think the important thing to note is that the calibration software is built primarily for the purpose of setting up a display. And one of the things that most calibrators will do is try to read the ambient light, and they are also optimized to produce an ICC profile at a certain level of screen brightness, typically measured in candelas or a similar metric. The problem is, if you then run your display at that level of brightness, you're going to be really, really unhappy when you start printing because the default that most of these organizations use for display brightness is way too bright for building a print file. And that's a problem. Mm -hmm. So I knew about the relationship between ambient light and the display, but in an esoteric sort of it's not happening to me sort of way. And it didn't impact on me that this system works right up to the point you start making prints. And at that point, that relationship may be severed because of the various ambient well, and, that, and that's the real point of frustration for so many people. They buy a display calibrator, they follow the rules, they get a correctly calibrated display that is too bright. And so they will say, well, there's something wrong with my printer. I see this question so often, it's what really irks me. Because it's not true. The calibration means, remains correct, regardless of the level of screen brightness. What we have to emphasize, in fairness to our listeners, is the first rule of printing. The printer is always right. You send it some data in the form of a print file, either directly or something you encapsulate in a file and ship it off to your printer, and it reproduces that file with incredible accuracy. There are some provisions for consideration that I think folks should know about. And these are? Well, first, you have to be sure that the printer is not, in fact, defective. Can you get a defective printer? Yes. But with considerably lower frequency than the number of complaints would suggest. The second proviso is that you are using the correct print driver for your printer and your operating system. Very often, I'll encounter folks who are not using the proper print driver. 
The third proviso is that you're using the proper ICC profile for your printer and the specific paper that you're using. As you've already elocuted, a printing ICC profile contains data that matches the paper to the printer. Mm-hmm. Specifically, this paper on this printer. So let's use an example. Let's suppose that you have an Epson P700 printer. You will only ever want to look at ICC profiles matched to an Epson P700 printer. And then you'll find your paper. And let's suppose that we're using Epson Velvet. Well, the ICC profile better be for Epson Velvet paper on an Epson P700 printer. And the fourth proviso, and I run into this more often than I used to, is that you're using the proper ink for your printer. We know that printer ink is massively overpriced for what it is. And so we see folks going out and buying generic inks or refill cartridges, but you don't know what you're getting. Hmm. And then if the colors don't work right, it's not the printer. It may not be your display. It may not be you. It could very well be <laughs> the wrong ink in the right. printer. Well, that seems simple, if very specific. So... What's the issue? Well, as you know, I try to help folks. Fine art printing is one of my areas of expertise. And I constantly get these complaints from photographers that their printer is faulty. Most common, prints are too dark. Yeah, we actually had thing just recently, I think, where somebody, uh, there was a discrepancy in what they were seeing and what they were getting. It, uh, it was exactly this combination of things that was doing it. So all of this sounds like a printer issue, but I get the feeling that it is perhaps not entirely so. In fact, it's not a printer issue. See rule one. The printer, printer is always, is always right. right. <laughs> okay. Rule two is that if the print is too dark, the display is too bright. The fix is the person making the print file needs to turn the display brightness down. Way down. When you're editing for your print file, you don't change the settings in the file. That's a lot of work, Mm -hmm. and it won't help. What you do is turn the display down. Literally, push the button and turn the brightness down. You don't do anything in the file. You don't change anything in your editing process. You simply turn the brightness down on the display. Okay. You mentioned pressing the button. So is that where I should start in this kind of process? It's where you start and finish in this process. Okay. Now, there may be a display that has a wheel to control the brightness level. But in most modern displays, it's a button and then another button to lower or raise the brightness. Right. Or the contrast or to select the color space. That's what you want to do. So if we presume that the display that the person is using is a decent quality display that can be profiled, because not all can, start with the brightness at about 15% of maximum. Set the contrast at 50%, and set the color space in the display, if there's that option, for the maximum that the display can deliver. Probably Adobe RGB, as we had talked about. So I'm not sure what you mean by... A decent display, but now that you've mentioned this, when I 
was recalibrating my monitor uh, with the new M1 chip. I remember that before we started, before it would let me go any further, it specifically told me, it it showed me a, a diagram, and I had to twiddle the brightness button till I got it to match its preset level. Mm-hmm. So it forced me to drop the brightness of my monitor to its specifications. Yeah, and it's going to want to do that, but I'll tell you straight up, most display calibrators, when they want you to set the brightness before doing calibration, do not take print files into account. Okay. My recommendation, if you're going to print, that's the caveat. If you're going to make print files, don't worry about that step. Okay. Set the brightness low. And then just let it go. So, for example, on both of my displays uh, that I calibrated yesterday, the calibrator wanted me to set the brightness to about 160 candelas per meter. I've got the displays already matched to the printer. My actual setting is 67 candelas per Ah, meter. Okay. So, when I perform the screen calibration for color, I'm not trying to match the brightness that the calibrator would like. Okay. Because I know that my output is going to be a print. So, and in fact, it's about 15% of the available brightness on both screens. So how, how would you know that, though? I mean, let's say if I was going to do that, I've been told to do one thing by the calibrator. Uh, you're telling me to drop it. That, that's fine. But how do I know when I'm right or done or not? When you make your print, oh, okay. you're going to know. So it's trial and trial and error until you get the brightness level. Get the correct. brightness level on your print that you think you're seeing on the screen or would like to see on the screen. When you get your screen brightness to match what okay. you get on the print. Remember? Ah, the other way around. The print okay. is always right. Okay. So when we talk about a, a display that can be profiled, most people are using displays that are LCD or LED driven LCD. And there are many different ways of making such displays, the most inexpensive being something called thin film transistor, or you may see that advertised as TFT. The issue with TFT displays is that you cannot successfully make a profile for it. You can't adjust the color feed to a TFT display. At minimum, your display must support in-plane switching, or IPS. You'll see this in the description for a display that you're considering purchasing. You got to be careful though and do your own research because if you're buying at a big box store, the salesperson you're talking to is probably in washers and dryers this morning. With respect, they wouldn't know IPS from AC power. Salespeople in dedicated computer stores might know, and they should know. In warehouse stores, it's highly unlikely. And as for buying online, who knows? I mean, how many times do you look at a description in an online sales? environment and the description looks like it was translated into your language (laughs) from Klingon through Romulan before it got to where you are. And I would submit that a lot of a lot of these displays that look like a good deal may be lying. Now that's not to say you can't shop online. I know for example that I could trust an advisor at BNH Photo Video or perhaps at another trusted photo retailer that also handles photographic displays. But I've seen other examples from 
hopefully good places, where the response is utter BS. So I, I now have an IPS display that can handle Adobe RGB, and I have set the brightness uh, and the contrast, uh, as you have recommended. The display, however, still looks dark to me. What's the next step I should take here? Well, that's an indicator that the location where you're doing your work is too bright. Ah, okay. It's just like a television set, right? Sure. Okay. So you're going to turn down the light level in the room. Most displays will ship from the factory with the settings really hot. So those default settings look great from a selling perspective, but they're absolutely useless when it comes to an editing perspective, either just for display or for print. So you're going to have to adjust that. But then you also have to control the light in the place where you edit. Or you're going to have issues with printing because you're going to say, oh, the display is too dark. I'm going to turn it up. And that's not going to help you. Ideally, the place where you do your editing, whether for display or for print, should be relatively dim. It doesn't have to be black, but it should be dim. And for any kind of editing, you want to make sure that there's no light directly hitting the display to the best of your ability. Now, some folks will just use pieces of black cardstock and make a little hood for their display. You know, if they've got an overhead light in the room and they don't want it to hit the screen? Right. That's a very cheap and easy way. I find that black foam core or even black construction paper can work real well if your editing space has that situation where the light is going to fall directly on the screen. Okay, hadn't thought of those things, but yeah, it, it makes all kinds of sense. All right, back to the drawing board on that one. So let me summarize so far. We have identified the need for ICC display profiles, identified the companies that make quality display calibrators. We've determined our best options for a display, photo and video editing. We have also talked about the special considerations for making prints either at home or making a print file that can be sent, uh, sent out to a service. But I hear people say that prints from the service look better than the prints that they make at home. What's that about? It means that the person has selected a decent print service. And when you send your file, and let's suppose that you have got your display too bright, so the resulting print file would be too dark. When you send it to the service, they're going to look at the output. The person or system doing the printing is going to do a test and figure out that the creator's display was too bright or too dark, unlikely, but let's say it could happen. And then they will adjust the printness in the print file at the time of printing to make a decent looking print. They'll basically apply an after-effect brightness adjustment only to the print process. Okay. It's a good thing, but it still means that your print file is poorly constructed. Moreover, most services only accept JPEGs, which, as we know, are massively compressed, with over 70% of the original data lost, and they're only 8-bit. So you're only going to get 8-bit color. A properly built print file printed at home on a photographic printer is always going to be better than one from a service unless that service will accept uncompressed print files in the 16-bit TIFF format. 
So sending it off to Walmart is not not the answer to this. Well, I'll you're, let me, you're, but. they're not going to put the same work into it as, say, a Bay Photo or an Mpix or the company that I recommend, and this is just my opinion, uh, is a company called Whitewall. They're based in Germany, but they've got local sites where you upload your files. They will take JPEGs, but they will also take TIFF files. Yeah. Do most labs accept it? Or, uh, do most don't. Most don't. In fact, it's a, it's a rarity to find a lab that accepts TIFF files. And typically, it's going to be a little bit more expensive, right? but a whole lot better quality. Okay. So are there any scenarios where a display calibration device is not needed? Don't operating systems come with a display calibration built in? All operating systems have very basic eyeball-based calibration. The problem with the eyeball is that we can't judge colors accurately. In the practical sense, they're useless for anyone. Now, if you only shoot in JPEG or another lossy compressed mode, display calibration won't help much since you've already irretrievably destroyed over 70% of the data. And if you're never going to do any kind of serious editing, you don't need a display calibrator. And if you're not going to do any kind of serious editing, you're not printing seriously. In that case, you might be taking the card to the Walmart or wherever, putting it in the machine and making some snapshot prints. You're not printing photographs in a serious manner. You're not editing. So you don't need a display calibrator. And some of these uh, devices do, do printer calibrations? Well, that's a common error in belief. No devices calibrate printers. What advanced calibration systems might do is to allow you to print some test patches on your printer and your paper for which there is no ICC profile. In that case, you're going to go through a series of making prints, using the calibration device to read the prints, make adjustments, they'll create a first ICC profile, and you'll print again, and you'll take more readings, and you'll tune up over a series of iterations, an ICC profile for that printer and that paper. This is incredibly useful. If there is no ICC profile for the paper that you love paired with the printer that you own. Let me give you an example. Let's suppose that you really love the look and feel of Epson platinum paper, but you own a Canon printer. Canon photo printers are very good. But you know what you're never going to find? <laughs> you're never going to find ICC profiles for Epson papers on Canon printers. And that's where these devices that will allow you to build custom ICC profiles are really handy. But if you're buying a paper that already has an ICC profile for your printer... You just save yourself a whole bunch of... Yeah, save yourself a whole bunch of paper and a whole bunch of time. Uh, now, look, I know people do it. And if it makes them happy, fill their boots. But there's really no need for it. But can't you download the ICC profiles for sort of mismatch printers, if you want to call it that, from, let's say, the Epson site? You could get ICC profiles for Epson papers, and they will be for Epson printers. Ah, so Epson doesn't like to play with Canon. Canon doesn't like to play with Epson, and they'll keep their ICC profiles to them. Right. Well, they simply don't see a value proposition to when they both make papers, or more correctly, 
They don't make paper. They sell paper under their brand names. Now, if you go to a third-party paper, like a Hanumul or a Moab or sure. a Kansan or a Red River, when you look to their sites and find the paper you're purchasing, you'll find ICC profiles for all kinds of different printers. Obviously, you want to find an ICC profile for the printer you have. And if one doesn't exist and you're really committed to that paper, well, then your calibration system better have the ability to make paper printer ICC profiles. So let's see if you can wrap this up. An IPS display that is calibrated at least once a month using a proven display calibrator with the brightness set to low if making print files and always using the proper, proper ICC profiles for printer-paper combinations when you're doing any printing yourself. Does that sound like uh, what we just said? Well, you summarized what we've talked about in a single paragraph. Well, it sounds yes, simple, it does. doesn't it? But I think I'm starting to realize that this is the proverbial road less traveled and not something spoken about until someone makes contact with an unnamed photographic nerd. And when they do, and when I do, and I come in contact with the above-mentioned person, I will be happy to tell them that they have just provided us with an advantage over the rest of the community, and I will thank that person for that. So, thank you to all our listeners. I am Gordon. And Gordon, you're very welcome because I represent that unnamed photographic nerd. I prefer to refer to myself as a fine art printer, but whatever works for you, I am still Ross. Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. If you shop at BNH Photo Video, please do so through the link on our homepage. It costs you nothing and pays us a small commission based on what you purchase. Always feel free to post questions or comments. I read and respond to them all. Until next time, peace.